0: Although I've seen some scripts, I know the words weren't spelled, right? There was hardly any commas in it at all. So I don't think that's too important. Hey! You wanna get on the train here or you wanna ruin another take, huh?
1: It's too serene, Will. We're trying to make a movie here, not a film!
2: Man, I don't drop
0: character till I've done a DVD commentary. You want to eat the writer? Be my guest. That will leave you to explain how else your character is supposed to get to Bremen. <laughs>
2: Welcome to another episode of the In the Mouth of Dorkness chatcast. I am your host, Billy Das, the indie dork. Joining me today is nobody. Oh, no. I've got the keys to the shop. I'm running solo. I'm doing things how I want to. It is getting crazy in here. Oh, boy. Can you tell that I'm a little bit intimidated by the absence of my co-pilots, Mouth Dork and Wife Dork, uh, doing this on my own? Uh, I don't usually do this part by myself. So, all right, let's just dive into it. <laughs> Enough for showing your nerves to the audience, Billy. Let's get to the point. Brad and Lisa have been kind of jet-setting across the country. They got to go to Comic-Con. Uh, they're going on a family vacation now. Uh, but it happens at the same time All that's going on. Uh, so is 2019's Fantasia Fest, which is a really great genre film festival that takes place up in Montreal, Canada every year. Um, they got a lot of great stuff this year, and I was kind of given an opportunity to do some remote cover of it, and I had to say yes. So while I am sad to be doing some of this coverage solo uh, without my amazing interviewers, because to be honest, I, th- I think I hold my own. I do okay. Uh, but they bring a lot to the table, like talent and stuff. Uh, but I think I, I think this one went okay. Uh, up first, we have the film uh, called Riot Girls. In an alternate 1995, a mysterious disease has wiped out all the adults. In this new age, two gangs are pitted against each other in a brutal war for territory, resources, and Survival. It's directed by Ivanka Vukovic. This is her first feature film. Uh, You might have seen her work before. Uh, She directed the segment in XX called The Box. And oh, yeah, she's the super rad former editor in chief of Rue Morgue magazine, uh, a little horror rag that you might have heard of in the past. Uh, So basically, she's one of the movers and shakers in the horror industry, and she knows what's up. Also joining us for the conversation today is Monroe Chain. Chambers, who plays the lead villain in *Riot Girls*, you know you might have heard some of our previous coverage where we interviewed Rob Grant for his film *Harpoon* at the Chattanooga Film Festival. Uh, Monroe Chambers also stars as Jonah in that film, and uh, you know, let me tell you what. He's amazing. And also he's in Turbo Kid, which is another genre movie that I love. Like, I love the fact that he kind of got his start uh, through Degrassi and uh, has just really leaned into genre filmmaking. Um So it was, it was a real joy to chat to both of these folks. So, yeah, Riot Girls. I probably would say that it is a punk rock love story set in a post-apocalyptic age where children are ruling the land. Um, and you know what, man? It's a blast. It's a lot of fun. There's some really great gags in it. Um, a head explodes. The disco dork's going to love that when he sees it. Um, the movie's a lot of fun, but it's got a it's got a pretty dark edge to it. And I think that they walked that line uh, pretty great. And it made for a really, like, punk rock watch. Uh, I don't know. So uh, keep a lookout for the film. But for now, let's uh, jump over to the conversation with Ivanka and Monroe. Just as an aside, you know, because we're doing this remotely, they're kind of hanging out in a press room and passing a cell phone back and forth on speakerphones. So the audio isn't necessarily what we would normally be up to if Mobile Podcast One were in the building. But I think that A, it sounds okay. And B, they're super rad. And the conversation is awesome. All right, Billy, stop hyping it. Throw it over to the conversation. Okay, Billy. All right. So we're here today with Jovanka Vukovic and Monroe Chambers. Yovanka's uh, directed the film Riot Girls. And Monroe plays the big heavy. Welcome along to the podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you for having us. Uh, so I think my first question is for you, Yovanka. Um, You know, how did you link up with Catherine Collins' script and what made this the story that had to be your first feature film?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, my plan was always to write and direct um, uh, all of my own material. And um, because of my horror pedigree, 98% of the scripts I get sent are terrible or Mm -hmm. uh, depict women um, as morons or both. Uh, So it's very rare that I get a script that comes across my desk um, that is um, uh, something like Riot Girls where it's just like this fun movie that has a a pair of of queer leads that are, um, you know, empowered and and the movie is not about being queer or or coming out. And um, I don't think that we see those kinds of well, in fact, I can say with authority, we don't see those kinds of narratives. Uh, and those kinds of characters enough uh, in the movies. And when I was growing up, these kinds of characters simply didn't exist. It was uh, entirely, all of my heroes are men. Every mm. single one of them, unfortunately. Growing up, they were all men because I just didn't see any women. And it wasn't until um, later in life that I saw Mary Heron's name uh, on the big screen uh, after seeing American Psycho and seeing Antonia Bird's name come up in the theater when I saw Ravenous that I went, oh, shit, women can make movies, too? Uh, like, it just never occurred to me. It wasn't part of the conversation growing up. Uh, so when it comes to picking my project, um, I, I'm quite picky about choosing stories that are feminist in, in that they depict women as actual human beings. Um, and so... Uh, I couldn't turn away from Riot Girl because it was just so fun, and uh, if it was about a story about a boy and a girl, I wouldn't have done it. But because it was a wish, like a queer wish fulfillment thing, I thought it was important and fun, and so that's why I chose to do it. And then also, also, you know, I realized that it was kind of like Tank Girl, you know, it reminded me (laughs) of like Tank Girl, the comic. And because I was a teenager during that time, you know, in the 90s, I, I could really try to like try to have fun with it by setting it in the 90s and populating it with the kind of music that I was listening to at that time and stuff and and really, putting a lot of ourselves into these two characters.
2: You know, that was uh, kind of an interesting thing for me to watch as a viewer. I I think you and I are are, are pretty close in age. Uh, I'm 37, uh, and so like I have like my memory of like 1995 is like I I remember that time and I remember that space and I remember what it was like. And you know, it it really struck me while I was watching the movie that you know you've you've picked a story to tell in. That's set in an imaginary, era, imaginary era, um, but that is a very much of, of your and our kind of generation. You know, what was it like working with um, the young folks on set? You know, did it, did it turn into story time with Yovanka? This is what it was like in the nineties. <laughs> uh,
1: no, like I tried not to sound like too much of like an old lady when I was working <laughs> with these people. Um, so we just we just had a lot of fun because um, you know that age group, the uh, actors in their twenties, and uh, they're they're such a lovely um, uh, age group. They're, they they're, they they want to do all their own stunts, and they're just so keen and um, and 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 like Paloma you know i asked her if she would shave her head and she like without hesitation was like sure i'll shave my head madison can we she has this beautiful long blonde hair can we hack it up and give you like dye your roots like this ugly kind of shitty like like box dye <laughs> no problem um um Darren Eisner had this long, curly, beautiful hair that I asked him if I could give him a, a, like a mullet with frosted tips so that he looked m- more like that, The you know, the, the villain in The Karate Kid. And, oh, yeah. you know, he, of course, let me do it. So, yeah, th- these people were great to work with.
2: Uh, Monroe, what was, uh, what was the appeal for you for this particular role? What made you say yes to this project?
0: Well, it started off walking in the room with uh, seeing Lauren Grant across the room at the table and i recognized her from a audition process i did for another film and then we went through the scenes with ivanka in the room and it just clicked and i was just like we were talking about it in the way that she directed me in the room uh the way that she to verbalize intention and how to get a performance out of out of actors i thought there was something rare um because to talk to someone as a director to an actor, it's, it's kind of a lost art that's happened where you don't really get to, they kind of tell you how to go bigger or smaller, but they don't actually give you intention. And then Mm. I was lucky enough for them to say that we want you as Jeremy. (laughs) That's (laughs) how I got involved in the project. (laughs) Um, It wasn't me saying, uh, Oh yeah, let me just ponder on and think about it. It was really, uh, uh, Ivanka and Lauren Grant and everyone involved saying, yeah, we want you for Jeremy. And so I said, yeah. (laughs) And I joined on.
2: Well, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's such a juicy role. I I have to tell you, I, um, I interviewed Rob Grant at the Chattanooga Film Festival about, uh, Harpoon, which man, I fucking loved you in that movie. You're amazing. Thank you. Um, but I, like, I, I don't know. I just, it seems like you've really gotten offered some really juicy villain roles, uh, lately to sink your teeth into.
0: Yeah. I've been really fortunate over the last few years to tackle roles I think I wouldn't have gotten if it wasn't for um, it, all, it all started with Mike Peterson and Ironside so when mm-hmm. Iron, me and Ironside have a really really great relationship outside of filmmaking and he knew Mike Peterson and so Mike he brought up to Mike Peterson he thought he found someone who would be interesting for knuckleball to play Dixon mm-hmm. and then me and Peterson talked about that role and then he took a chance on me playing that role and if he hadn't taken a chance on me playing Dixon, I don't think I'd be able to play the roles that I've been able to do over the last few years. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just visually, I don't think they would have cast me. Um, So for that, I I thank him and thank Ironside for that. But um, I love roles like this with Jeremy, with Jonah, because someone with malicious intent and someone who is very aggressive and has a lot of rage in them, that's rooted somewhere. And that's rooted with insecurity. That's rooted with emotional history, uh, a damaged person. And so to find where that malice comes from and where their need for control is, that to me is extremely interesting because, um, I don't believe people are evil just because they're evil. I think there's something that is rooted there and to find where that comes from and where that emotion comes from and where that is in your stomach. That's interesting. And me and Ivanka really talked about that with Jeremy. Uh, yeah.
1: I mean, yeah, I, we were like, we felt like Jeremy, there are no bad characters in movies, right? Mm-hmm. And and even though he plays it with this delicious, like, arch villainess, which I want, we wanted, right? right. Uh, in his mind, it's, it's an actor who can't work with, oh, he's just an asshole, right? Uh, you have to give them more than that. And I always thought of Jeremy as somebody who is extremely capable. Uh, he's got his shit together, he's managing to keep. Everything together and a system operating and everyone's safe and fed and clothed and warm. And so he has a lot of amazing qualities and a, a lot of what he's doing um, in his mind is not bad. He's just protecting his, um, you know, his the student body. I mean, his family uh of people. So, you know, we, we never you never approach it if he's just a dick. Todd is a bit more of a dick. <laughs> right? Because <laughs> Todd Todd is like he's a classic henchman, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a henchman. So Todd is more of a dick. But uh, uh Jeremy was always more complicated than that.
2: Yeah, I think, I think leaders kind of in that way are interesting characters to explore. I mean, you know, at, at, like not maybe, you know, not so much on the level of sort of just like a local town, but I, I mean, I guess, you know, leaders power becomes absolute. And so their ability to do things and make things happen, I mean, really always, whether they're great leaders or bad leaders or good people or bad people always walks that line between the propensity to use violence to get the things done that you need done and the ability to do that.
0: Absolutely, every villain, like every hero, has a purpose. It's just in whose eyes are looking, or are you looking at. You just have to understand where they're coming from, and that's where, you know, like we said, Jeremy, he does things very brashly, and sometimes they're very vicious. And from the other side, it's like, well, how can this ruler be so evil? And it's like, well, in his in his way, in his mind, he's doing it with some sort of purpose. Like you said, trying to feed everyone, trying to keep everything in in control, and to the level of what he thinks is right. Um, And then there's more to come in the film that you see, you know, for anyone who watches it, that there's a little bit more higher stakes for him that lead to a little bit of quick trigger reactions.
2: You know, I and I don't I don't want to spoil that higher stakes uh, thing that 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 kind of that thing that you encounter about his character that definitely changes your perspective on his whole approach to leadership. But gosh, that. I was I was really surprised as a viewer when I got to the end, and that was just sort of hanging out there as something to consider. Uh, You know, my wife and I watched this movie together to prep for the conversation, and we talked about that aspect of the story uh, for probably twenty five minutes after the movie, just trying to figure out, you know, you know where that was meant to go and kind of what that meant for everybody else. Uh.
1: Well, I mean. This might be a spoiler, but I, I hate to tell you, but no one survives. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the, I, I mean, so you you see the movie, so um, you know, there's the we we sort of wrote this uh, backstory into the backstory that that this disease, whatever it is, is like a is like a flip a switch that's flipped in their DNA when you become an adult when you yeah. turn eighteen, you start to get this this rot, and that's what begins to start happening to jeremy so the implication being that it's going to happen to all of them and there'll be no one left eventually so i mean i am what i am i can't (laughs) i can't take the horror writer (laughs) director out of me so in in every instance with this film even though it's like this this super fun teen film i i pushed uh, as far as I could, as far as I was able to, the violence and the darkness as as much as I was permitted. Um, and there's this really neat thing, this really neat coincidence that happened. We ended up shooting on a set of Degrassi, which, hmm. which Monroe, Monroe's <laughs> a huge superstar, Degrassi superstar. Yeah. Um, so it, it also then now occupies this kind of like alternate universe. Degrassi, uh, you know where he's He, well, he was a, a heartthrob on that show, right? Now, now a villain, and so that's that's kind of a, a, a happy accident.
2: I love that. I think what it, what it, I, I love how we can change our perception of physical spaces by coming to them and doing something just slightly different, and it it does. It creates that sort of parallel universe feel of of something that's going on. What could have been.
1: Um, but hopefully, I want wonder... Hopefully, the Degrassi fans don't freak out. You know? <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, they're happy.
0: If they weren't ruined by a knuckleball, <laughs> <laughs> they'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. At
1: Degrassi.
0: Oh, yeah. And yeah. I, like,
1: at the school.
0: I did some pretty terrible uh, Eli did some pretty terrible things uh, <laughs> on the Degrassi. Uh, I, what Jeremy does. In the DeGrassiels is nothing compared to the years of kids going to that school. How anyone let them go to that school? We'll never know. That's a running joke we always made. But no, the the point that was a really cool full circle for me uh, to like to film there for five six years and or four or five years and then to go back for a feature and uh, it was it was cool. It was very
2: cool. Yeah. Um, I do. I want to talk a little bit about the violence that you see on screen because, I, I mean, one, you have an amazing head explosion gag in there, which I just fucking loved as soon as that popped up on the screen. I'm, I'm a real sucker for head explosions. And that was a rad one.
1: Yeah, me too. Me too.
2: <laughs> but I, you know, what I'm, I am really curious about, though, is, you know, you shoot... Uh, like a a pretty brutal death of a child in the movie, maybe not physically brutal, but definitely emotionally brutal. As a director, you know, working with a child, how do you approach shooting a scene like that, and your relationship with that 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 kid as an actor?
1: Uh. You, you know, uh, we were super conscious of the fact that um, although when when people were reading the script initially and kind of reading it, and going like, "Oh, this is really fun and this is this is really lighthearted for you, Ivanka, we're <laughs> we we're surprised. Uh, and I'm like, did nobody notice that we slit like a ten year olds throat? Right. Like, there's, there's nobody. Okay, I get that. You know, we reserve we reserve the the most uh, you know violent uh, scene for a perpetrator of sexual violence. Right. Yeah. yeah. That was deliberate, but like, it's almost like it slipped past everybody that we were, you know, killing, killing kids. So, um, it surprises me when people tell me they think the movie is really tame. I think it's because they're expecting, uh, me to make just ultra pure ultra violence. Right. Because I'm horror, I'm a horror right. person. Uh, but you know, it's just it, working with Nicholas, it, you know, he's like every, every, uh, young actor, Child actors—they uh, want, you know, you, they need to want to be taken seriously. They take the craft very seriously. Uh, I think that directors make the mistake they make with young people is, is um, not treating them exactly the same way you would the adults. So I just, you know, sat down with uh, Nicholas and explained the scene to him, showed him how the gag was going to work. And he just thought it was the funniest thing in the world. Right. Because that's that's movie making. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the the intention is happening elsewhere. Um for him, it was just like, yeah, this is great. I get to get I get to do this really fun thing. So, but we had, you know, you have responsibilities as a filmmaker. Even though the tone of the movie is completely fun and lighthearted, and there we had psychologists on set, uh, and you know, child psychologists, people, his parents, and you know, to make sure that he was. Uh, taken care of and stuff but these you, you'd you be amazed these kids like they've seen so much worse on The Walking Dead Yeah, like this, this did not phase Nicholas like at all it wasn't a big deal
0: well it's funny that you say that because with Luca on Knuckleball I literally chased him around the house for 18 days and there's a lot of violent intention but there's a lot of sexual intention there as well uh, especially near the end and he was so mature and so aware that because during it when you're the antagonist and you're the predator, you got to step away once in a while. And me and Ironside had a really great conversation about that, where he's had, he's had to play that a few times. And he said, you have to step away, find a little, as he calls it, this binky, that you step away and you'll be fine with it. And I always go, you know, Luke, are you OK? Is everything all right? We had people there on set, just like Riot Girl to make sure everyone's OK. But he even was so mature and aware that he would ask me how I was. And he's like, you okay? Is everything fine? And I was like, that is just incredible to, to be there. I I had an experience on a film called Our Fathers, which was about the Boston priest molestation cases Hmm. when I was, uh, 11. And so we had seen that, you know, uh, one of the priests was, um, i was one of the kids right. and we had uh therapy sessions before and after and talking about it and i was just soaked have ice cream so i think there's something <laughs> when you're a kid and i'd watch some films that were pretty violent texas chainsaw massacre and uh, hitchcock films when i was younger like all the like the classics so i, I a little more but there's something i think when you're a kid they there's an innocence theory that you're just like oh okay it's fine and then they tell me like so this is what's gonna happen I'm like okay it was interesting, but like now these days, the kids are so much more mature. Where I was kind of this ignorance of what it was, but they're like conscious to make sure that you're okay. Yeah, and how the, how the predator's feeling. It was really interesting. That's huh. that's awesome. I just love that when I heard that you guys had the psycho- psychologist on set and stuff like that, because I wasn't there for that filming, because um, that was all in Sudbury. I was like, well, yeah, that's awesome. To hear that that that, that was so
1: awesome great. to watch actors. It's awesome to watch actors. I have so much respect for them. Um, and the, it's awesome to watch them work. And then, like, so in the scenes uh, in between uh, the, the, the the attempted sexual assault, Atticus and and Madison were, uh, you know, understandably. Um, upset yeah and you know and they would kind of reassure each other like are you okay are you because because he had to be physical with her and kind of slam her down and hit her and say horrible things to her and call her names and and he had never done anything like that and and and, uh, when we were done shooting he had to go and like excuse himself he was really he was really upset so they have to go to places like really dark places that sometimes that you know they've never accessed before and didn't even know that they were capable of, yeah, that surprised them, and that's that's part of the gift of their craft, that's what makes them able to do what they can do, and
2: it's just really awesome. Yeah. I, you know, um, it just it, no, I'm I'm so
1: sorry, I'm gonna have to cut you off. We've since we've gone over the time, so <laughs> no, not your fault, but thank you so much if you want to say a little. <laughs> Bill, thank you so much. I appreciate your, um, you know, watching this film and all of your really insightful comments about it. I'm glad your wife liked
2: it, too. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. Um, and hey, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us. I really appreciate it. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye. Bye. And we're back. Thank you so much to Ivanka and Monroe for spending some time with us this afternoon. I know that they are extremely busy while they're working the festival circuit. I know that when I go to festivals to work, boy, you really don't get to have nearly as much free time as as you want to do. So thank you to them for squeezing us in. But also, thank you to them for talking to me. Uh, you know, I had a lot of fun watching Riot Girls, and I I think that we speak to that in the conversation. Um, but like, I hope it doesn't get lost that the movie is exciting. Yes, there is sort of like an off-screen movie happening here. I guess sometimes we talk about that, right? Is that that, that there are on-screen movies and off-screen movies happening at the same time, and the off-screen movie for Riot Girls is. The realities of it is upsetting and uncomfortable to think about the implications of. And I think very philosophically matching what it means to think about life, which necessarily implies a conclusion. Um, So, yeah. But, like, the on screen movie is this punk rock queer romance that just sort of exists and is part of the movie. And that, in and of itself, is exciting to see on the screen. Uh, I agree very much with um, what Ivanka had to say uh, with regards to the amount of movies where you get to see queer people on the screen just kind of existing as part of the world, where that isn't the focus of the movie. Um, The fact that they're coming out or coming to terms with their sexuality as opposed to a a queer relationship being the focus of the movie. Um, And I think that that's exciting to see in this film. And, uh, you know, Nat and Scratch... Uh, who are the two um, main young women at, at the at the core of that relationship, played by Madison Eisman and Paloma Kwiatkowski. I, I think I got her name right. I hope I didn't butcher it. Um, but Madison and Paloma, both as, as Nat and Scratch, are just amazing. They are a joy to watch, and the chemistry between them is awesome. And their characters are, are just really engaging, you know? Um, I the reason I played the the bad reputation, the Joan Jet song at the beginning of the episode is there's just this really fun, you know, in the car riff singing moment. And uh, like it just works. Their chemistry and energy that's going on in this movie is fun. And, you know, like Yuvadka uh, was talking about Monroe's performance, You know, he really leans into the arch villainness of his role. Um, but it's delightful and i don't know i just i had a lot of fun watching this movie and so i you know when i really enjoy something i am very cognizant of like what a treat it is to be in a position to reach out to the people who made that movie and go hey do you want to talk for 20 minutes about this awesome thing that you did and they're like yes let's do that (laughs) um that's that's just a, a fun thing to think about sometimes i think um you know, I and I know Brad feels this way too and Lisa as well is, you know, the opportunities we've gotten through the podcast and through the chat cast are just amazing and w- what a wild thing. What a wild thing. Um, you know, it really struck me thinking about the construction of the movie and the conversation, what Monroe and Ivanka, what they both were talking about um, when it comes to taking care of your actors on set while they're working in vulnerable positions. You know, it's it's not just upsetting sometimes to um, be the victim. It, it can also be upsetting to be the perpetrator. And I think that that's kind of a good thing to keep in mind. Um, you know, I don't have a huge, big acting background or anything like that. But when I was in high school, I did a lot of theater and um, so this is 20 years ago, right? So in my senior year, I took on a role uh, in a play that was going to a series of competitions. And my is a small role, but my role was basically sexual assaulter one. Um, it, you know, this the scene that I uh, took part in was m- myself and uh, uh, sexual assaulter number two. Uh, I'm sure that we had a name. I I, I don't really remember that part of it, um, but it was just to come in and and commit assault and then leave the play. And and this is the this is the role that 17 year old Billy took on as a competition for you know something that he kind of enjoyed doing. And I don't remember the name of the play. I don't really remember the events of the play or anything like that. And I honestly don't remember the choices that I made as an actor um, doing that. What I do remember, the thing that stayed with me 20 years later, is at the conclusion of one of our performances, uh, you know, when you go and you compete with plays, you you perform and, and then you are critiqued later by a panel of judges, and I remember standing on stage in front of this audience of people who were listening to the critiques at that point, and the judges pointing to me and my compatriot, and saying well, how impressed they were with the convincing job that we did as sexual assaulters, and boy, I tell you what—you know—I'm—I'm I'm saying that out loud, and I don't really have a memory of of what it is that I said back to that, but I am sure that I did not have the emotional capacity to handle the implications of that question. Like my goodness, um, now. I don't, it's not like I find it upsetting to think about or anything like that, but it, boy, that, that sure stands out. And what do you say when somebody compliments you on your ability to to depict, uh, violent, horrible things, you know, especially when you're a kid, I don't mean so much when you're uh, an actor in a horror movie, you know, somebody does a great job doing that. You're like, hell yeah, good job. (laughs) Um, but when you're 17, what does it mean to kind of hear something like that? And, you know, like i i am certain that i did not give the emotional weight to my character um i guess i did a good job performing it but i i don't i think even at 17 it's 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 hard to to connect the dots when you're not kind of used to thinking about the motivation the implications of all these things and all that sort of stuff like I don't know. Um, I just know, thinking back, I feel how like woefully underprepared I was to deal with that at that age. Uh, I'm sure I felt differently then, and you know, maybe it's something that I'm remembering in an exaggerated way because it's something that happened 20 years ago. I don't. I don't know. Um, but I do think it's good that they showed uh, such an interest in taking care of their young actors and giving them a the space to breathe if they need it and having people available to talk them through those things. Because otherwise, it, it, is, it can be weird how you internalize things like that. Um, I don't carry the, the weight of that conversation with me or anything. I'm not emotionally traumatized by it. But it's noteworthy to me that the only thing that I remember definitively is the moment where I was given a compliment on my ability to um, uh, portray uh, a, a, a violent, horrible human being. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't I don't even I guess it's it's funny. I'm uh, I could delete all of this. Uh, I don't think I'm going to. But but it's it's strange. I a lot of emotions uh, sharing that experience. So I appreciate the care that they took for their actors. and I, And I think that's an important thing. I love it. I think that's awesome. Um, and I tell you what, the kids that she got to do the performances, especially for the younger kids, like they did a great job. There is a kid in this movie who is like in every other apocalyptic movie when the heroes need something, they go to their like local scrapper who's this rough and tough, don't mess with me kind of vibe. Um, I'll give you what you want. I guess if I owe you a favor, we'll figure it out. Like, you know, just begrudging, curmudgeon maybe violent, murderous person portrayed by a kid who I gotta I gotta guess is like eight or nine or ten and he did such an awesome job in that role I just I really (laughs) I really enjoyed it so the, the the cast of kids that she wound up uh did did really great they did an awesome job um, yeah, the movie is a lot of fun. I, here's here's the thing. The movie comes out uh, September the 13th. Uh, so be sure to go out and watch it. If it's, if it's in a theater near you, go see it big and loud. I think it's worth it. If not, rent it. Uh, do anything that you can. Uh, support independent film, you guys. And Riot Girls is a definite winner. I recommend taking a look at it. So again, thanks to Ivanka Vukovic and Monroe Chambers for spending some time with us. Go and check out Riot Girls uh, at wherever you consume movies on September the 13th and let's see uh outro business that's my job when i'm here on my own usually brad chimes in at this point and he's got you know like all the stuff that we need to do all the upcoming business so upcoming business all right i got there upcoming business is i'm not totally sure we've got a couple of things in the fire for more fantasia coverage but uh given the remote aspect i'm not sure how easy it's going to be for us to link up with them so we'll see how that goes i hope That you checked out last week's episode where uh, Lisa got a chance to interview Jason Muse while they were down at uh, Comic-Con. That's amazing. Yes, uh, I'm not at all jealous that I didn't get to do that. It's totally okay. (laughs) Um, But check that episode if you haven't heard it yet. um, And stay tuned. We've got a bunch of uh, upcoming guests that I'm really looking forward to sharing with everybody. And... If you haven't, please subscribe to the podcast, wherever you subscribe to the podcast, leave us a five-star review. Uh, That is a huge help, and it's exactly the type of support that only listeners like you can provide. Uh, And it really, really is an enormous help to us. So if you haven't given that five-star review yet and you enjoyed this episode, uh, say thanks by uh, going on and taking a couple minutes to say some kind words about these dulcet pipes (laughs) Uh, follow the podcast uh, at it podcast on twitter and facebook and uh, you can follow me at wb das on instagram letterboxd and twitter you can also find me at bill and claire's excellent adventure which is a podcast i co-host with my nine Uh, almost 10-year-old daughter where we worked together to expand her cinematic horizons. You know, we had taken a little bit of a hiatus uh, at the end of the school year because she got into standardized testing, and she went straight from that to a summer swim team, which called for her to practice uh, every single day and compete a couple times a week. So that took up a huge chunk of her schedule. But we're back! And uh, coming up right around the time this episode uh, airs, so it should be out right now, is uh, Jaws. We went to the Alamo Draft House in Loudoun, Virginia, and Claire got to have her experience with Steven Spielberg's Jaws on the giant screen at that theater. It, it was a delight. Um, I had a lot of fun and you know, I was really worried that Claire would not enjoy that movie. Like I figured she would either be scared of it or there was also a chance that she would be bored by it because there's a lot of city politics in the run up to that before they're kind of out on the boat in the mix of it. Um, but oh my gosh, she was hooked the entire movie. It was amazing. And the conversation was wonderful afterwards. Check that out. So Jaws, uh, other upcoming episodes, uh, we've got a conversation about Varsity Blues, behind the scenes look at how she and I and her mom work together to pick the movies that she watched because, you know, I'm not just programming these for her. Some of our movie selections are her coming to me saying she's interested in watching them. Uh, And I try and respect that as much as I can because the podcast isn't so much about me putting her in a place of loving the things that uh, I do uh, like. It's more about giving her more context in the movies that she sees in the future. Uh, So we try and collaborate on selection. And then we've got an episode on uh, The Meg, uh, which uh, we watched after Jaws because she's uh, keen on shark movies right now. Uh, But then what I'm really excited about coming up is uh, we're going to take a dive into the universal horror monster movies. And, you know, most of those movies are ones that I've I really haven't seen that many times, Um, you know, maybe once or twice and definitely not in a long time. So I'm really looking forward to this opportunity to dive back into these things and uh, also to share them with Claire. So stay tuned for that. Uh, You can follow our podcast uh, on Apple Podcasts at Bill and Claire's Excellent Adventures. You you can find us on Twitter at B.A.C.E.A. Podcast. And you can also follow the other dorks, Brad Gullickson, Mouth Dork uh, at Mouth Dork on all social medias lisa gullickson at sidewalk siren on twitter and you can find brian young at the turtle dork on twitter and darren smith at the disco dork on all social medias uh, and that'll do it for us this time until next time
0: visions are worth fighting for why spend your life making someone else's dreams